When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan. We are coming to you on Sunday, September 5th. We are recording this uh, unusually with a few innings still to go in Sunday's finale with the Pirates. They just tied it at 7 if you were looking for a timestamp of when we are having this conversation. If the team was good, we would probably rarely do this. Uh, But some personal stuff, we got to get in and get out. So if something crazy happens in these last three innings, uh, it will sound like we didn't see it because we didn't. So just giving you guys a heads up on that. But we do have a good bit to talk about coming into Sunday's game. The Cubs, literally the hottest team in baseball, the longest winning streak in baseball heading into the finale with the Pirates. And Brendan, we saw more of the Frank Schwindel show at Wrigley Field this weekend. <laughs> it never ends. It never ends. His Woba is still around 400 and getting more uh, celebrations out of him. I like that one celebration on, on Saturday. Just You can tell he's feeling a little bit more comfortable and I feel as if I'm being a little bit more comfortable with Frank Schwindel going into next year. Yeah, so we talked about Schwindel and his role in the last episode. So if you want to hear that and kind of what we think about going into 2022, you can check out the last episode in our feed. Um, you know, he, more heroics from him this weekend, more home runs, a huge home run off the video board in left field on Saturday. And then, of course, that uh, walk-off situation to end that one. Great slide from him. But we, 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 we won't go deeper into that because we just talked about that. But the, the, the one thing before we get into some of this other stuff, Brendan, I, I think we've touched on this a little bit before, but especially hearing him after the game talking about, you know, filling guys' shoes and coming into this situation after the mm-hmm. trade deadline and that kind of pressure and just such an odd situation, like you do, and, and you do have to respect his attitude and the attitude of a lot of these guys, right? It's it's a weird spot. You know, some people are sort of rooting for them to lose so that they get a better draft position. But some of these guys are 29, 30 years old, getting an opportunity for the first time. And whether they're 25 games out of the standings or not, they're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to win and in a very difficult position. And, you know, Schwindel is not alone in this, but just hearing him speak after the game yesterday, you do sort of respect what these guys are doing and how they're going about doing it. He just came from Oakland like a month ago. So not only is he filling a new role at Wrigley Field, but he's on a new team in a new franchise, which adds, in my opinion, an extra degree of unfamiliarity, which makes it even more impressive. Uh, and you listen to his post game like interviews, right? Especially after Saturday, he's he's quick, man. Like he's 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 a funny dude. JD was kind of joking around with him, and he's playing right into J, into JD's hands. So I I like that like easygoing attitude that he has, and I'm shocked. Like Frank, I didn't even know who Frank Schwindel was. Like what was it? Like six weeks ago, and no idea who he was. So the fact that he came over so fast and immediately 
produced and did so in a way that seems projectable for next year, you have to give this guy some respect. Yeah, and so he was named the you know obviously it's we're a little bit into September now, but he was the rookie of the month for August in which he put up a 10:30 OPS with six home runs. Then of course this weekend as we've entered September, continuing to hit more home runs, continuing to get hits and have uh, some big games was three for four against the Pirates on Friday, three for five against the Pirates on Sun Saturday, like. He's two for three as we're recording this on Sunday. Like, the dude just keeps hitting. And as he alluded to, like, to come in and and do this in the shoes of Anthony Rizzo is almost an impossible situation. And you're never really replacing a guy. You're, You're not sort of taking his place in a sense other than you're playing the same position and occupying a space in the lineup. But it's it's admirable to to come into this at his age and his stage in his career and be performing like this. So um, well, it's the entire team too, I right? Mean, you have yeah. Wisdom, who came up and he's in the win rookie of the year as a thirty year old, and then Michael Hermosillo, a little bit younger than those two, but still in his late twenties. These guys are trying to finally get a chance in their late twenties, or in Wisdom's case, now thirty. Absolutely, and uh, you know you alluded to uh, Michael, Michael Hermosillo, who had. A big game on Friday, three for five in that game with three RBIs and a home run leading off for the Cubs. I would love to tell you that he went on to have a big weekend, but he didn't play the rest of the weekend. So, um, you know. Who played, Corey? Um, I'm curious. Who Jason played? Hayward, who did hit a home ah, run Jason for the first Hayward. time since okay. July on Sunday. Since so, 2018, yes, yes. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to wax poetic about that. Again, I, once again, just don't really understand it. Um, unless they're easing Hermosillo in or something like that. <laughs> what? Uh, There's yeah, like no, three I, weeks I, left. I don't get it. Easing him to the offseason, yeah. I'm yeah. just not really sure. Like, he has a big game on Friday, like, showing you, you know, flashes in the field, speed, power. I'm just not sure uh, what the delay is and just sort of tossing him out there every day. But I mean, I don't think they think he's going to be a realistic option for 2022. I'm being well, serious. we're definitely like, not going to know that. Well, I'm, that's who they think he is, maybe, right? You have Alcantara, who's playing every day. Um, I would put him in the same tier of, like, uh, lack of reliability for 2022, yet Alcantara plays every day. Hermosillo does not. So... To me, that signals they just don't value his projection as much as they do for for Hayward. That's the only explanation. Yeah, well, and, you know, remember, Hermosillo and Alcantara, at least amongst this group, are the younger guys, right? You know, they're they're not near 30 years old. Um, They're, you know, those mid-early 20s type guys. So there's definitely still time there, and, you know, you can figure it out. I just check the lineup every day, hoping that Hermosillo is getting a shot so we can kind of just see this over an extended period. And obviously, it it's it, it doesn't necessitate me repeating, but that's exactly what we're talking about with all these guys, right? Like, how did we get to this place with Frank Schwindel at around, you know, 140 plate appearances or whatever it is? Because they just kept trotting him out there, right? So that's the way you figure it out, and they're doing it with some guys and not doing it with others. But it is what. So it is. So you don't want to talk about you don't want to talk about Jason Hayward's new swing change on this podcast. Uh, is there a new swing change? <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't. I, know. I don't know. You would be the one telling me that, but no. I, I mean, mean, it's look, been like, like what seven a, years. He hit a home run on Sunday, so that's cool. But yeah, I just 
would like to see more of Hermosillo, especially after he has a game like he did on Friday. I'm just I'm just confused as to how a performance like that doesn't draw you another start. But I digress because we've complained about that a few times now, and maybe we'll keep. And we doing still it. will. Oh yeah, we um, yeah. Another thing, just on Friday before we delve into some of the guys more specifically, we talked about Alec Mills recently in more in depth and and thinking about him as a back end rotation guy for 2022. So once again, you know, hopefully if you guys are are keeping up with the episodes, you heard us talk about that, but we did talk about that recently. But just want to note another really good performance from him, five and two thirds. He did give up seven hits, but no walks and six strikeouts there against the Pirates on Friday. Uh, Does allow five runs, but only two of those earned coming uh, off of an error, uh, I believe from Patrick Wisdom. So Another good start for Mills. We we went into depth on him a, a little bit, Brendan. I know you broke down some of the stuff that he's been doing, but another good start. It's the Pirates that are really mm-hmm. bad, uh, especially you know when you're co- comparing them to this Cubs team and watching them uh, perform this way. But uh, another good one from Mills. He was flipping his sinker and his fastball usage over the last handful of starts, and for this start against the Pirates, he kind of went back to his four seam. He threw that 34% of the time, uh, whereas he was throwing sinkers about half the time in previous starts, this time only 25% of the time. So a little bit of a different mode of attack, but still looked good. Command was sharp, threw a ton of change-ups, actually threw the same amount of change-ups as he did sinkers, and he got four whiffs on those change-ups in 11 swings. Overall, he got nine whiffs, which is pretty good for Mills. And with him, I think going into next year at this point, if you're going to pick among, you can group them together at this point, but, you know, Justin Steele, Alec Mills, Keegan Thompson, it seems pretty obvious that Mills uh, deserves that that shot with Steele, of course, having a higher ceiling, but still some things need to be ironed out for Steele. But for Mills, he, he's, he keeps progressing, man. I mean, his fifth is going to be possibly under four by the time we go into this offseason. Yeah, so keeping on that, uh, one of the roster moves we saw this weekend was Wilson Contreras coming back, so that is good to see. Had a nice few games for the Iowa Cubs, hitting some home runs down there. Good to see him back. You know, he's obviously been itching to get back out there with the big league club. Um, Keegan Thompson does go on the injured list with right shoulder inflammation. So 10-day IL for now, but as we are into September, you know, you kind of do the math there. Maybe he comes back and gets out there and gets some more starts. But But not enough. Yeah, either way, especially with the way he had performed, I would be pretty surprised if he factors into any plans as far as the rotation is concerned for 2022. Of course, you can ramp it up in spring training and sort of see what you've got there, but you'd be going into it with no reliability in terms of what you'd be getting there because you just didn't see it in the couple starts that he had in this turnaround after he had been stretched out. So, you know, does that effectively end the experiment? Maybe not, but no, for, so. for for now, I, I think, you know, you, you'd have to sort of reevaluate things and start this over basically come 2022 because it, it also is worth repeating that you did really see something from him out of the bullpen. Obviously, the stuff plays up more, but, you know, the velo was much better coming out of the bullpen as it is with most guys because he's only throwing an inning or two. Um, And he had success there. So 
he was one of those guys where it was okay if it didn't necessarily work. You had seen him have some flashes of success in another role, and it's okay if that's not where things land. But certainly, if they wanted to see more out of him and get a more reliable projection for what that might look like in 2022, it seems as though they are not going to get that. I don't think the experiment's going to end based based on this. You know, he'll be depth and considered for depth in 2022, regardless if they go out and sign multiple free agents. I think even, too, at this point, if you want to compete for 22, and there's a possibility they do, we don't know yet, but if they do want to compete, I don't see how you can give Keegan Thompson that that role. Uh, when you compare Alec Mills and Justin Steele out of the gate for the season. Now, it's different if he comes out of the bullpen, he looks good, there might be some opportunities, then you can elongate him, stretch him out down in Iowa, and then bring him back up to maybe get that opportunity sometime in 22. But he's still young. He still showed a lot of promise out of that bullpen. He showcased a brand new cutter this year that has more movement, about 150% more movement than your average cutter. He still has stuff. He needs to figure out some of the command and maybe add another secondary pitch to make it as a starter. But just because he's going to be maybe out for the rest of the year and not get those opportunities, there's still going to be opportunities next year. Look how long it took Mills to finally get into this conversation where we're yeah. realistically talking about him being a, a, an every fifth-day starter for next season. And that didn't really affect his development, although we don't really know per se. But now he's considered among the group the most likely guy, I think, in a lot of people's minds. So it's not over yet. It is disappointing. When he first came up uh, out of the bullpen, in my mind, I always envisioned him as a starter with the caveat that he had to add another secondary pitch like a changeup. I still think that's a possibility. It's unfortunate we're not going to see that this year, but I don't think it's going to change the Cubs' offseason plans regardless if he was healthy. And the only way it would have, I think, is if he were blowing people away going five right. innings every start, sort of like what Alice Eli did during April, May before that uh, early season uh, injury. So I that seemed unlikely at, the, at that point, too. Let's go to the other guy in that transaction, which was Wilson Contreras. So Wilson Contreras has been on the injured list since August 12th. So good to see him back and have him back with the uh, big league club. And we did get a little bit of insight a few days ago from NBC Sports on an extension with him. Uh, you know, of course, Wilson Contreras has a year left with the Cubs and has been in trade rumors. He's been in extension rumors for a few years now. He's been, you know, not as rampantly discussed as, you know, KB and Rizzo and Javi were, but he was sort of always lingering in those conversations, right? And one of the things that he talked about in this interview, um, uh, let me let me just read this quote that he gave to NBC Chicago about a potential extension. So he said, quote, if they want to rebuild around me, that's going to be a conversation overall. Let's see what happens. We still have a few more games to go and then see what happens in the offseason. If there is mutual interest, I would be open to talking and see what their plan is and what would be good for the team. So one of the things that we can take away. There's more quotes, but in in effect, what he's saying and talking about is 
that he wants to see what the plan to succeed is. We, we've we noted before that like someone like him and uh, Kyle Hendricks mostly, right, and the the core as it was happening before they were traded, certainly. But Wilson is predominantly this guy. He's never played losing baseball, right? Like every year he's come up, he has been in a division chase, a pennant chase, World Series expectations. He has never played on a team that is doing what the Cubs are doing now, right? Which is they are not going to make the playoffs. They're losing a ton of games. The fans aren't coming as much as they were. Like he's never done this before. And he echoes these sentiments in the in this article and in this v- interview that, that sort of gives off a vibe of like, look, if they're planning on being in a long-term rebuild, I don't want to sign an extension here. Like that's a, a pretty, you know, blunt and like specific read on it, but that's sort of what he's hinting at. Now, if Jed lays out a bunch of years and a bunch of money, does that change things? Who knows? But I do think that this viewpoint, Brendan, is important to pay attention to, and it obviously affects other guys in the organization Mm. and potential free agents that, you know, there, there are a lot of players who are motivated by money and security, and it does not matter where, when, or how that is coming to them, right? There are other guys, though, that they don't want to sign up to be bad, and that kind of sounds like the attitude that Wilson Contreras has, which is not surprising. If he signs a contract extension, let's say early on in this offseason, maybe November-ish, that might signal, okay, we're trying to compete. Now, if the talks are stalled, or they really don't even get past the starting line, then the signals, okay, the Cubs are maybe going a different direction. So you can look at it like that. The other way I'm thinking about it is to what degree do you want to rely on Wilson to be like that middle of the order bat? And what does a contract number from a money and year point of view look like for Maybe Wilson's idea of being a middle-of-the-order guy versus the Cubs' idea of maybe him not being that middle-of-the-order guy. And I think you have to consider his injuries is, at some point, whether it's fatigue, just complete absence of power. And in this year, for example, he's had injuries. He had a hamstring injury. He's had this recent knee injury. His numbers this year are somewhat average-ish for a regular hitter, of course, above average for a catcher. But for if, if this is who the Cubs want to put in their cleanup spot or their fifth spot, you know, on the year, he's batting 224 with 17 homers uh, and 407 plate appearances, which equates to a 326 weighted on base average and a 104 WRC+. plus. Those are great numbers for a catcher, especially with uh, Wilson's defensive caliber and his leadership and his ability to manage a rotation at this point in his career. But the conversation differs from, okay, how much is he really asking and how much stock do you want to put into his ability to be that middle of the order bat? We just went through, what, two years now of the Cubs appearing to, and we'll see what happens, but appearing to lowball Rizzo. The rumor was $70 million for five years before he rejected that. And Rizzo's numbers for the past two years, there is a slight hint of maybe a little bit of a decline, but to what degree that's that's going to, to 
to continue, we, we don't know. But it goes in line with these similar discussions. Like, how much money do you want to, you know, pan out here for a 30-year-old Wilson Contreras who, on the year, the last two years, his weighted on base average is an average of 330 in about 1,000, in about, not 1,000, in about 700 plate appearances or so. I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what the answer is, but you do want to follow that at the same time it is a barometer to what the Cubs could be doing, and maybe we'll hear more talks about it at the on the at the onset of the offseason. But I feel as if this is going to be one of those discussions that is going to linger through spring training. I I don't know. I don't based on what we've seen with the past core guys. I don't see why this would be handled differently, Corey. Like I feel as if they may just kind of let it pan out and go through the 2022 season and see where it ends up going. Um, and I say that just because I feel as if Wilson's value in his mind is going to be drastically different than what the Cubs consider him, because that's been the case for every single one of their core guys. Yeah, I mean, certainly coming off of the lack of extensions for those guys, it's definitely hard to be optimistic that this is an easy process or anything. And for as much as we've heard from Jed that they don't want this to be a long-term you know, rebuild thing or it's not going to be, they, they've said that so many times in so many ways, but we're still waiting. And I obviously, it's not going to come now. I'm not waiting for it now. But we haven't seen anything that suggests that's true, right? And so you're still sort of waiting for that. So I, I think that I, I agree with you. It would sort of serve as a bit of a barometer if they were able to get that done in the early portion of the off season, or, I mean, even now if they wanted to, right? Because it sort of starts that domino effect of like, oh, okay, you're sort of, you're, you're sort of signaling your intention, right? Like we're spending money, we're extending guys at this age for this period. So we're going to be doing other things that are in line with that, right? And, you know, you look at what JT Real Muto did, right? Where he got, you know, nine figure contract and there's leaderboards with him, Posey, and Real Muto that suggest Wilson's a top three catcher. But again, you look at these numbers this year, he has a history of hamstring injuries. He's been used like no other catcher over the last basically five seasons do you want to give him like $80 million, $70 million? Like I, I don't see Jed doing that given how he handled KB right. and Baez and Rizzo. It seems like this is just another inevitable, um, I don't know what the word is, but it seems like inevitable that we're going to go through another spell. Like well, this. and where the, the gap between how Hoyer views things and how the player views things maybe is too large. It seems that's the case. It's been that the case for every yeah. single one of these past guys. Well, you know? and it, it it's it's complicated by the fact that while you know things started well for him, you know now of course Miguel Amaya had been dealing with that forearm injury, and you know not that you know I don't know that he was going to end up in a place where you would have been like oh yeah okay no like Wilson for a year and then Amaya. But, you know, Amaya, Braylon Marquez, also kind of in this group where you're not really having much of a productive year from them in terms of their development and what you're able to project for them. So that also complicates things as one of your higher rated prospects who was a catcher is not progressing at the moment. So you don't have that information to kind of inform how you're feeling about 
how long you might want Wilson around, right? If if the price were right for me, if you were just asking me, like I I would like to keep Wilson around. I think that he has shown through this process, especially with the trade deadline and the up and down season and all of that, that his what he wants most is to win. And I think you need guys like that. Like everybody probably wants to win and stuff like that. But everything we've heard from Wilson, all the interviews he's given and stuff like that, like you truly believe that winning and winning for the Chicago Cubs is one of the most important things in the world to this guy. And does it matter though? <laughs> well, that's a, a separate question. But I, it, it's it's okay. all just to say, like I I I like the production, I like the attitude, I like the person. It you know, of course, like anything else, like whatever budget Jed Hoyer's working with, it has to be right. And I I understand some of the um, you know, I don't I, I don't necessarily want to call them concerns, but just some of the the notes that you've pointed out, right? And you know, especially like long term contracts with a catcher as they get up there in age, you know, they they can be risky, right? Like not everybody can go into uh, their late thirties or whatever and be productive, like someone like you know, like Buster Posey and and things like that. It's not necessarily a common thing for that to be happening. And even Posey had a good lengthy spell where he was injured, right? Not- being a productive guy every day so it's yeah it's it's a complicated spot but just looking at this interview and these quotes in particular I I did the the thing that really stood out to me we knew that this situation was coming right we know he's going to be a free agent like we know the Cubs have to pick a direction on some of these things but I I was just fascinated at hearing someone currently on the team saying like look I have no idea if we're going to spend money again, I don't know. They don't tell us that stuff. And I would kind of want to know before we had those conversations. Maybe Wilson is different than the other guys in terms of, you know, the the ongoing extensions. And maybe Wilson does want to ultimately, you know, take a little bit of a, a safe contract route and not want to test free agency. I, I don't know. Clearly yeah. with KB and Rizzo, and and Javi, like they they were willing to test free agency just to see what it was like. Doesn't mean they didn't want to come back. And you even hear Rizzo and Javi and KB saying like, "Yeah, we'll be open to maybe coming back." Although KB maybe not so yeah. much. But uh, I don't know. Maybe Wilson's a different case. Maybe he will want that comfort. He's never had a high stable contract like Rizzo and KB has had through arbitration and Javi's had through arbitration. So it might it might be it might be different from Wilson. But at the end of the day, if they do want to keep this guy around then you need to find ways to protect them. That's my that's my concern. They have not done that over the past several seasons now. We've not had quality backups. He's been injured multiple times. He's catching way too many innings. And if you want to rely on him to be your fifth hitter, or at this point, without considering outside the organization acquisitions, your cleanup guy, I don't think you can do that and accurately project for him 550 right. plate appearances and that's that's just that you just cannot go into a season doing if you're going to invest so, in him you have to invest in him fully it's a, it's ex, yeah. it's, it's yes, not just about the contract to, exactly yeah. if you invest in wilson then you have to invest into it you have to invest in an insurance plan as well in in the form of a quality you know dh or a quality backup catcher preferably a quality backup catcher that you can swing Wilson into that DH role when you need to. And if 
if they want to do that, I'm open to it. I'm really interested in that concept. It just seems right now that's 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 difficult to make it all work. Yeah, and so, you know, so just like one last thing, just comparing and, and contrasting things, like it did make me think of, and and they're all different situations, and of course, you know, what these guys put out to the media doesn't necessarily have to reflect their their true value or, or thoughts and things like that. But reading this article, it did kind of just remind me of the process with Rizzo, right? Like when the off-season negotiations fell apart and we heard all of that. We never heard Anthony say anything about the competitiveness of the team, right? Having anything to do with why the negotiations fell apart or anything like that. It was it was money, right? It was being treated right and and getting what he felt he deserved and and was worth to the organization. Um but then when he was traded, you know, we did hear him say literally I told them that I wanted to go down with the ship. I didn't care if they were trading everybody away, right? And that doesn't mean that I'm not bringing that up to suggest that like Anthony wanted to be a cub more than anything and Wilson doesn't. Like that's not what I mean. I'm just I just found it interesting that when the Rizzo stuff happened, people speculated like, well, maybe it fell apart because he doesn't like the direction or he he wants to win, things like that. And then he said the opposite, right? And it's just interesting hearing from Wilson. And I, I, I would expect that there are other guys like this, right? Where they're like, yeah, no, like I want to win. I don't like losing. It's hard for me to show up every day and strap the gear on and, you know, for a catcher, crouch behind the dish for nine innings and, you know, catch a hundred and whatever pitches every day if the team is losing 90 or a hundred games. And so again, like that's that I, I'm not, I'm, I'm only just, struck by hearing it from someone. And and I think I'm glad Wilson said it, right? I'm glad that that players on the team are saying things like that. I don't know that stuff like that will pressure the front office or ownership to spend money, but this is the type of stuff people should be saying, right? (laughs) Players on the team should be saying stuff like, yeah, this is kind of BS and I don't want to stick around if this is what's going to be going on for the next three or four years, right? Like, I don't blame them if they feel that way. And it's good that someone as prominent as Wilson Contreras is saying stuff like this, I think, to me. I don't think that matters from Jed's point of view. No, I'm I mean, sure it doesn't. But it's, you know, you <laughs> want them to be catching the flack if it if it's out there, right? Yeah, of course. And I, <laughs> I'm so scarred by this trade deadline. I wouldn't be surprised what happens to anyone ever, ever again. I don't think even Wilson saying, yeah, I want to stay around if they stay competitive is going to do anything to Jed's strategy of wanting to keep Wilson around. I mean, they traded Javi, KB, and Rizzo under a span of 24 hours. Like Nothing will ever be as significant of a PR like mess than that right there. I, 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 I don't know. Um, I want to keep Wilson around, but I don't see... I don't know, man. I just, I see, I see with Wilson coming off a season that is considered perhaps down. Maybe he's different, but it's just, I feel as if he's going to want more than ultimately what Jed wants to give out. That's just kind of where I am with that. And we've seen, again, with Rizzo, that situation is exactly what happened. Uh, I hope it happens, but I just wouldn't count on it. Yeah, I think that's fair. So uh, let's dig into another offensive player who we've talked about, but I, I think we owe it a bit of a longer conversation, and that would be one Ian Happ. So 
it's it's been a very unique year for Ian Happ, and I think even trying to discuss Ian Happ. So as we sit here right now, it is the pardon me, turning to look at my TV, the middle of the sixth inning. So he's taken three plate appearances. He's got two hits so far on Sunday. That may change, right? There's still time. But he's sporting at the moment a 308 WOBA and a 92 WRC plus on the season. But over his last, you know, 18 or 20 games, he's got an OPS nearing 1,000. And he has really, he had a great month of August, and he has kind of forced more conversation, which we've alluded to over the past few episodes, but we haven't necessarily delved as deep into it as maybe we could have. So, you know, you look at his last 30 games, which is 108 at bats. He's got a 296 batting average, which is 339 on base and a 565 slugging. Last 15 games, those numbers get better. 370 average, 404 on base, 704 slugging percentage. So, Brendan, like, I guess the the conversation here is what do we make of this? Because when we talked about his struggles earlier in the year, you and I both noted, I think, every time that while you didn't necessarily have to believe he was the player that he was in like the beginning of 2020, right, when he was kind of in those shortened season MVP talks, even if you didn't believe that that's who he was and you didn't love him as a player, whatever you thought of him, right, there was nothing that suggested he was as bad as he was performing in the early portion of this year. He had never, since he had come up in 2017 and, you know, started getting semi-regular time, he's really never had regular time, so to speak, um, over the course of like a full 162-game season. Um, But when he started to get semi-regular time, he never showed himself to be consistently like a 600 OPS player right? So something had clearly changed or was off, but this was a bit of an outlier. So as you're seeing this now, does this matter to you in evaluating him for 2022? What is your evaluation for 2022? And I guess going a little deeper, what is fueling this change? right? Like I know on the surface, he's not hitting the ball on the ground as much. That's not his game. He was doing that too much early in the year. But we're really talking, and and we'll see if he can keep it up through September, but we're really talking about the, the tale of really drastic portions of a season for one single player. Hap is a... Uh... But it's He's never an good interesting when it starts case. with a sigh like that. Well, it's yeah. just there's so much to unpack in, in in that type of question and so much to unpack in his entire projection, I think, for 2022. I want to start with his role defensively for 2022. I think that is going to determine his overall role for, for the team. His defense took a step back this year. It's pretty obvious. His speed is down over a mile and a half per hour. His uh, outs above average is in the 20th percentile. That means 80% of the league has been more valuable defensively, and that agrees with his UZR, which is below average. It agrees with his jump, which is in the 38th percentile. He's not getting to balls, and that might be because he has 
faster aging, I guess. He's going to be 20, you know, he's in his late 20s, 27 uh, right now. It's like you have to figure out his role first. And the obvious role for him is a DH spot where you can use him as a flexible defensive guy in the outfield when you need to, for example, put Wilson in the DH. That's what I was saying before. Is like if you get a DH that is flexible defensively, even though not the best, but also still very good offensively, then it allows Wilson to, to rest a little bit more. Maybe Hap is that guy. If they want to go into and improve the outfield, and fingers crossed, there is a DH. I know you hate the DH, Corey, but in this case, it works out. If there's a DH for 2022, for me, that signals, okay, maybe I'm more interested in keeping Hap on this team for 2022. If there's no DH, then we have to have an honest conversation here. And the first starting point, again, is that defense, because Hap really needs to hit to overwhelm his poor defensive projections. Yeah. He has to hit, and he can't. Th- he cannot go through these Schwarber-esque valleys that we've seen in the years, in years past, because that's what got Schwarber off this team. And he's still valuable in the appropriate role, but it ultimately led to the Cubs not wanting to keep Schwarber around for $10 million. So that's that's the starting point for me. Now, offensively, this year is so weird for him because he's hammering four-seam fastballs for the first time in his career. Like, he has nine runs above average than the rest of the league against four seams. And last year during this 2020 season where he was like, you know, the short season MVP there for a while, he had negative run value. I don't under I don't understand that. And then his his run value against sinkers is way down, way below league average. And in years past, it was well above league average. So he's doing stuff that seems Weird. Like you can pinpoint why players struggle very easily. And an example there was Jason Hayward in 2016. Fastballs like crazy destroyed his run value. And pitchers started throwing more fastballs. Hayward couldn't hit it. And Hayward's rise, if you want to call it that, through 2019 and some parts of 2020, he started to hit four seamers. This year, the league changed it up and started throwing heavy sliders. And Hayward couldn't adjust right away. For Hap, I don't know what's going on, man. He's hitting four seams for the first time in his career, but everything else is just crazy, crazy bad. And it could be a timing issue. We've seen like JD and other guys talk about how Hap looks to be more on time, and that seems to be the case. And yeah, the numbers are trying, they're starting to back that with better production against off-speed, but the sample is still relatively small for me. If you look at just the overall weighted on base average, running average over like a 50 plate appearance window. This didn't really start until like the middle part of like August. So we're almost now going into our fourth week and maybe the changes are sustainable. Visually, they look like they're actually legit changes because he is on time more and he's messed with his batting mechanics over the years. It's still early to say, right? And we still need to get through the month of September before we can confidently make an an opinion of what his role could be for 2022. But I still have an underlying degree of discomfort with Hap projecting a significant role, even if he ends up being like a 380-plus Wobo over the last two months of the season. I just have a degree of uncertainty with that because we've learned from years past that sometimes some guys, they just take a long time 
to adapt. And I wonder if Hap is going to be that that type of person. But he is playing well. He got his chance. He was not starting there for a bit, like right around the trade deadline. And we were wondering, should he even be sent down yeah, just to get yeah. more plate appearances? Right. And so he came, you know, to his credit, he's performed well recently. He's made the necessary adjustments. And now he has like a Woba of around 380 over the last uh, seven weeks here, Corey. So you got to give him a little bit of credit for that. Yeah, I forgot about that. I only until you just mentioned that I forgot that period like pre-trade deadline where we would come on here. He was not playing. Wonder like he just wasn't playing. Yeah, yeah, I I had completely forgotten about that. Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm in pretty much the same boat as you. I, I think you 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 can't go into a year if you're intending on on fully competing and and competing in this division, which you know still likely won't take being a, a juggernaut, which the Cubs you know almost certainly will not find themselves in that position uh, by you know in a few months, right, for the beginning of 2022, um, but even if you want to compete lightly, loosely, right? Like you, you can't go into the year with him as a starter, I don't think, or, you know, uh, seeming to get a huge lion's share of, of playing time or... If you do, then you need to drastically improve the team. Elsewhere. Right. And, and really that just stems from the inconsistency. And this is something that has plagued this team for a few years now and something that, you know, they've kind of made a specific intention to get away from. And that's sort of why I feel that way. I I think, you know, again, like I, I don't think he's the player that we saw for the first few months of this season because he just hadn't been that player before. And we've seen, you know, some, some fairly large samples where he was a better player. Um, you know, that being said, you can't just toss it out the window, right? He he was bad for a significant portion of this year and in the portion of this year where the games mattered. And, you know, I don't know how to weigh that. And I'm, I'm not making an argument that he's cleaning up in garbage time or anything like that now. But, you know, just something to note, I guess, right? Like the team really needed him to be doing this four months ago. And he wasn't able to. And sometimes it takes time to make adjustments. You know, he had that ball that he took off the eye in 2020, you know, in that that, that weird game there, and that kind of torpedoed his production for that year. So sometimes it, it takes time to sort of get going again, make adjustments, things like that. But, you know, it's not insignificant that he's performing this way now and was not able to do that beforehand. But Again, overall, I think it's it, like you said, Brendan. It's it's worth you got to give him the props for this because he's been doing this for you know a, a month or so now, and he's been playing really good baseball at the plate. So you you want to give him credit, and you especially want to give him credit for being able to turn that around after such a bad yeah. start because that's not easy. Yeah. And, you know, especially for a guy who had had not really established his role and things like that. And, you know, speaking of guys that had only won throughout their career, he's only been on good, you know, competitive Cubs teams until this as well, but he didn't win the World Series, right? So he's not able to sort of just rest his hat on that and, you know, sort of clap his hands and be like, yeah, I've, I've got my ring, things like that. He did not do that. So credit to him for 
throughout his career being sent down and especially at the beginning of this year you know really having to battle through it I imagine that's not particularly easy when you come into the season with big expectations for the team and yourself and you're playing as poorly as he was for those first few months so to stick through that to stick through a bunch of his friends getting traded and the team uh, you know, waving the white flag basically and come out here and perform, you do give him credit for that. And I think it's going to make the decision for the front office confusing, right? As it's sort of uh, been leading down that path. We've been kind of saying that over the last few episodes, like, okay, this is getting more confusing for the front office. Like, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. And he's kept it up. So I'm curious to see what they do. I think, again, you know, like my only real conclusion is that him performing well in August or September is not really going to get me to the point where I'm back where we were at the beginning of this season, which is, yeah, he's your everyday center fielder. He should be leading off, right? And and that's where it is. I'm not going to get there because this is just too inconsistent at this point, and, and the success is is not going to be long enough for me to really feel comfortable with that. And even still, as we're having this conversation, he's not currently rated as an above league average hitter or league average hitter for the full season here. So that's still who we're discussing, right? But it is, you know, it, it, it does sort of just take you back to remember that quote from David Ross. I think it was earlier in the year when he started to struggle and they moved him out of the leadoff spot. Ross said, like, he believes this team is at its best when Hap is going and he's leading off for this team, and he thought he would get back no, there. No. I don't think that's going to happen, um, and I don't have that confidence, but <laughs> I, you know, you can't ignore that what he's putting together here for this last month or so. So Zips projects Hap for 2022 and 2023 for a 348 Woba and 345 Woba. The following two years, that totals a WAR of two point four and two point two. Uh, this year, they projected Hap Zips did for a three forty five Woba. So that's how Zips values them, and Zips likes Hap. They, they it likes Hap because he has that combination of walks and power. And to Hap's credit, his plate discipline hasn't deviated that much through these struggles. Typically, you see, not typically, but in many instances, you see guys expand their zone. And Javi's a great example. And when they do that, it's sometimes in combination with slumps and trying to overcompensate and make things happen that typically don't happen. Hap hasn't done that. His chase rate is in the 80th percentile. He's one of the more selective hitters in the league for better and for worse, right? Maybe that type of approach has hurt him in some instances. But the reason I bring that up is because the walks and the plate approach, that's stable. I think that's an accurate, reliable projection from a walk rate. And to bat three or 250, 246, 242 in these next three projections uh, for the season, that seems like within the realm of possibility. Now, What's going to get him to that level is he has to hit close to 30 home runs. And that's where you center in and try to figure out, okay, can Hap hit close to 30 home runs? These are Schwarber-esque projections that we saw for years. I, I, I don't know. And I think we have to recognize, too, this, was a, this is a failed season for Hap. He lost his starting center field job. He's no longer part of the conversation for center field. That's it. It's over. 
And that's in part because of the offensive volatility, but mostly because he just was not good defensively out there. His arm is not good. His speed has decreased. His his range has obviously decreased. His jump has decreased. He's no longer a center fielder. So now you have to put him in the corner, and you're not going to put him in the right field. You're going to have to put him in left field. And all of a sudden, we're talking about the same type of discussion we had with Schwarber for years. And so we need that DH if the Cubs want to, I think, be more flexible. You don't want to just single in one player to that position because that causes some inflexibility that, that I think the Cubs are going to need for the future. Well, we here. talked about that in particular with um, someone like Nick Madrigal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Nick Madrigal may only be able to play second base. So now you're going you're gonna to pigeonhole yourself with two defensive, inflexible players. Now, the other hand, and this is where I'll finish my opinion on this, if the Cubs improve drastically across the board, let's say they get a shortstop, let's say they get a center fielder, let's say they Im- improve their starting rotation dramatically, and you go into the year with, okay, you have a stable cleanup hitter, you have a stable, I don't know, fifth hitter, whatever, whatever they end up doing, and your rotation looks to be like a pretty hard to beat rotation, then okay. Like I'm willing to take another chance on Hap, but the likelihood that happens where you're drastically improving across the board to the point where you're comfortable taking a flyer on Hap with that, with that unreliability, I don't know if that's going to happen. And do you want to repeat the same type of strategy that we just tried to implement over the last few years? Or do you want to maybe say, okay, yep, you know, like this is this is your portfolio. There's still value here that other teams may consider. But for our purposes, for our club, we want more stability and maybe they end up dishing them out for something else, right? I don't know what the answer is to that, but in my point of view, I, I center in, dominantly on the fact that he's no longer part of the center field picture and to me that's just a that's a, that's a severe failure on 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 his part this year and that's never going to change regardless if his offense returns yeah i i think that's fair you gotta you gotta give him the due credit for turning things around a little bit here but i'm not at least i guess it seems to be the podcast's official stance is that it's it's not really doing too much for us um as we head into 2022, at least in well, terms it's all part of, of... It's all part of the picture too, right? Like you need to see how else the offense plays out from a free yeah. agent perspective, right? Yeah, yeah I, I think absolutely. I think certainly, as you said, if, if there is a larger plan and there's going to be some money spent and some new guys coming in, I absolutely think he he's the type of player who can uh, play a role, right? It's it's just a question of you know coming into this year I think you'd hoped that by the end of this year especially because there were, even at the beginning of the year there was still obviously that uncertainty about extending anybody right so you were hoping that this year you were going to come away with thinking Hap's the guy right Hap is the new face of this team like when we did the narratives in like spring training and, you know, coming off of 2020, that's where I think you were hoping things were going to get to. And they just didn't. That's that's not where we find ourselves. And it's not going to be where we find ourselves, even if his September looks a lot like his August did, which was really good. Uh, we have more Cubs baseball here, Corey. We're entering the middle of September with the series. We have an upcoming set against the Cincinnati Reds. 
The Rads will be throwing their strong rotation against the Cubs this series. The first game starts on Monday. It's going to be an afternoon game at Wrigley Field, 1.20 p.m. start time. Sonny Gray on the mound for Cincinnati on the year. He's 7-6 with a 3.89 ERA, having another solid year for Cincinnati. Justin Steele gets another chance for the Cubs, 3-2, a 3.48 ERA. In years past, with that core, Sonny Gray absolutely carved up this team. I will never forget those stretches when he's carving up the Cubs forever, no matter how his career ends up. On Tuesday, we have a 6.40 p.m. night start at Wrigley. Wade Miley takes the mound. For the Reds, he is 11-5 with a 2.97 ERA. Wade Miley kind of turning around his career this time with Cincinnati. He's done this with Houston now. He's done this with Milwaukee. He's a very bizarre pitcher. We have Adrian Sampson starting for the Cubs today or today uh, on Tuesday. On the year, he's 0-1 with a 1.59 ERA. And then on Wednesday, to finish off this set, we have Vladimir Gutierrez for the Reds. He's having a solid year, 9-6 with a 4.17 ERA. Alec Mills looks to continue his strong resurgence since returning to the rotation. He is 6-6 with a 4.25 ERA. That Wednesday game starts at 6.40 p.m. And then just to just paint the picture here, what you can expect next weekend, Corey. Chris Bryant returns to Wrigley Field. The Cubs will be facing the Giants next weekend. So I'm just mentally, I know I'm mentally prepping myself now. I I say that out loud and it's extremely sad. I'm like, I'm extremely sad even saying that. Um, Yeah, that's going to suck. I don't know if I can watch those games, Corey. Yeah. well, I you know I I was gonna do this on text, but I'll just do it on the air. I have an extra okay. ticket for you, Brendan. If you want to fly out, I'm not doing it. I'm not flying off oh, of this okay. you know, BS. Not not doing it. Well, I figured you wouldn't, but yeah, I'm gonna go. Um, Thanks for the off. You're gonna go. Good for you. Yeah, man. I'm gonna throw on the old 17 and my one of my Bryant T-shirts, and I'm gonna cheer for the man. He deserves it. Um, I know it's just sad, man. Can I handle that is a separate question. Um, I don't know, and I will probably not take my sunglasses off, uh, you know, during during that game, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, but there's <sighs> nothing, Brendan, there's nothing like being a, a 30-year-old man just sobbing to yourself at, at Wrigley Field. But Dude, he's going to get a standing elevation when he goes out for warm-ups, man. It's just never going to yeah. end. So... With this upcoming Red Series, though, um, one, like, the the Cubs can win or lose. It doesn't matter. We've talked about the draft pick stuff. Like, they're going to get a good draft pick. They've already done enough good work in that, and they'll continue losing at some point. It's fine if they have a fun weekend against the Pirates. And I also think, you know, it's good for a lot of these guys to not just be losing every day, right? Like, that's not going to help some of these guys um, motivation and, and trying to make adjustments and things like that. You want them to be like having a good time, right? That helps all of that. But I will say it's just like, these teams are bad, man. Like, and the Reds are struggling to hold on to that wild card, but like, I'm at least just interested in seeing somebody that isn't the Pittsburgh Pirates because they're just really, really bad. And you want to get back to losing. I get it. You want that high traffic. You want to lose these I, games. I just like it's it's fun. You know, like the walk off on Friday was fun. The walk off on Saturday was fun. Like the Pirates dropping balls. It's all fun. It's funny. It's it's fun to watch. But like I just 
you know, could do without seeing two teams that are like this, right? Like, can I, you know, just like a decent team would be nice to see every now and again. Well, I mean, Frank Schwindel and Patrick Wisdom leading this team is a good quality team. So, I mean, Pittsburgh's bad, but you can make the argument the Cubs are nuts. Uh, But, you know, and also like trying to play a little bit of spoiler for the Reds has some fun implications. So just, yeah, I, I could do without watching. The moral of what I'm saying is I just don't like watching the Pirates. So that that's really the point I'm trying does. to make. So yeah, uh, that is, I think, what we have for you. Uh, we, of course, are coming to you on uh, what for, you know, most people is a holiday weekend. So if you do have a long weekend, hope you enjoy it. Enjoy your off day on Monday. If you don't, um, I'm sorry, I guess, um, that you have to go to work. That's a bummer. But either way, we will talk to you after the Cubs and Reds wrap things up, and we will preview the series with Chris Bryant coming up next weekend. So that should be fun. You guys can look forward to Brendan being super weird about that on Twitter and on this podcast with me being, you know, a little less weird, but still weird. But I think that's why you guys like us. Why would I be the weird one? Your your melancholy is weird, man. Weirder than mine, I think. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I think so. I don't think so. I think so. I I don't. What 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 makes it weird? You tweet like just very sadly every night, (laughs) like when you're watching those West Coast games. Everyone's thinking about it. I feel like mine is more like self-deprecating. You know, like making fun of my sadness. Yours is just wow. This is this is sad. I feel bad for this guy. Are you not sad? Are you not sad? I don't know. Do I feel anything anymore, Brendan? See, you're trying to hide it. It feels better when you just verbalize it, Corey. You gotta let it go. I just let it. Just let it all come out. I'm telling you. The episode previewing, or maybe recapping the Giants series is just going to be us crying into the microphone. It's going to be it's a, like a therapy it's like a, session. Basically a, yeah, therapy um, session. Although neither of us should be leading therapy, but okay. Definitely not. But anyway, uh, we will talk to you guys after the Cincinnati series. Have a good rest of your weekend, however long it is. And as always, thank you guys for listening to and supporting the Cubs-related podcast. As always, go Cubs.